0: Hello, folks, and welcome to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Sunday, January 11th, just after the NC State game, and we will preview, we will review uh, the week in uh, basketball uh, for Duke. But first, I'm here with my ho- co-host. I'm Donald, by the way. You probably have recognized my voice by now. If not, I should probably work on that. But we also have uh, uh, my fellow partners in crime. Sam, say hello to the people. Hi, everybody. Hi, Donald. Hello, and now we also have Jason on the line. Jason, say what's up.
1: Uh, I'm not going to say what's up because I'm in mourning from uh, from a bad loss. About uh, Game ended about 20, 30 minutes ago. Ugh.
0: Yeah, and, and we should probably just kick off with that. Uh, in the last week, Duke uh, has played two games. Um, the one that we would like to remember is the 73-65 victory that we had over Wake Forest on Wednesday night, but... Uh, Sadly, we are recording this about 20 to 25 minutes after uh, an 87-75 defeat uh, at the hands of NC State. It's our first loss of the season. Um, We probably anticipated that one of these podcasts would have to deal with a loss, although we, quite frankly, don't like to discuss them. But that is our job. That's what we're going to do. So uh, let's start off with Sam. Your thoughts on uh, the NC State game and and Wake game? I thought that's a game today um, was strange. We, we looked flat
2: for a long time. Um, we, we let NC State NC State break us down on defense in all kinds of different ways. Um, they were blocking. And then on, on the other end of the floor, they were blocking our shots. Um, but really, the biggest thing today was that we couldn't get anything to drop. Um, our offense got really simplified. We dumped the ball down to Jolly Okafor a lot in the post. He wasn't really able to create. I know that he had sort of his normal Stat line, um, he he shot pretty well from the floor, but it didn't feel like um, it didn't feel like he was affecting the game in the same way. In that, um, you know, the other guys on the team weren't necessarily getting open the way that they normally do um, when he has the ball. And then when our guys were getting the ball, they weren't making shots. Uh, it was sort of a a fluky day, I think, where everything went wrong um, that could go wrong, and and more. You know, on the scary side, this is what it looks like. You know, when Duke loses to an early tournament opponent, um, the crowd is usually really into it against Duke. Um, we can't make shots. The other team feels like they're making all their shots. So this is not a this is not a unique script. Uh, at least if we're looking from the last few years, uh, it's disappointing. But I also think that this was really on the far end of everything goes wrong, and therefore we lose by twelve to. I think a a good
0: NC State team. It
2: seems like they're figuring it out now. You know, rounding into conference play.
0: Yeah, and Jason, what I mean, what do you think? I think you know Sam was pretty right on with a lot of uh, of that analysis. But what what was your take?
1: I, I mean, it's there. There are a few different things that I really took away from this game. I mean, the first, most obvious one is it's very easy to pin this loss on the fact that Duke did not shoot well. Uh, we shot under 37%, only 25% from three. And NC State shot exceptionally well, um, 55% from the field, 62. Yes, 62% from three. Uh, at one point, they were at 75%. Um, they uh, State was hot. There's no question about that. But you know what? you got to deal with that sometimes. You have to figure out a way to still win games when the opponent is hot. And by the way, I want to point out, State being hot wasn't just their shooting from the perimeter. Shots, you know, pull up threes with guys in their face. Um, State did an incredible job of holding onto the ball. At one point, they went 25 minutes, I think, without committing a turnover, which is, in you know, fabulous. A great execution from a team that, that doesn't have, like, the world's greatest guards in the world. Um, and uh, and they did a really great job on the defensive end. I mean, they blocked 10 shots. Uh, that makes a huge, huge difference. And most of them were, you know, layups right around the basket shots that Duke was figuring to probably make. A lot of them turned into state coming the other direction and hitting a three or hitting a two and getting an easy bucket. I mean, block shots like that can often be almost like turnovers in the back court because it reverses the action the other direction so much. Um, Duke had long stretches, especially in the first half where they didn't score any points. Uh, Jahil Okafor, I think, really, really struggled with the double teams. His tendency was to dribble out of a double team rather than pass out of it, um, and and as a result, it allowed State to say, "Okay, we're not going to let you get a good shot, but we're not going to let something really good develop for Duke out of us sacrificing to be in this double team." Um, I, you know, there's little question that Coach K was out coached by Mark Gottfried. I think I never thought I would ever spit out that sentence in my life, but um, Godfrey, you know, figured out a way to frustrate Okafor uh, and Kane never figured out a way to exploit um, the fact that State was double teaming. Uh, You know, these games are going to happen sometimes. You know, they shot really well. We didn't shoot well. Um, Very, very few guys on Duke had a a good game. Um, I mean, my goodness, Uh, uh, Matt Jones and Tyus Jones combined to go two of 14 from the floor. That's bad, um, and we lost. It happens. It was going to happen at some point. I hope we can learn from it, um, and I hope especially we can learn from it at the defensive end. Um, I thought our defensive effort uh, was lacking at times, especially early in the second half.
0: Yeah, and, and I I I think on NC State side, you said they shot really really well, and they did. I think you know I, I was kind of sick and tired of hearing Ralston Turner and Trevor Lacey because every single time they took a shot, no matter whether it was from inside or from 30 feet, with someone's hand in their face, they were making them. And it was kind of absurd at one point, because there was there were stretches where we were playing really good defense, and they were still making shots. There were some defensive lapses in the second half, and I think that kind of contributed to the NC State momentum. It led to some wide-open layups and dunks, as well as some uh, uh, three-point shots. Uh, but every time we seemed to kind of, want to crawl back into the game. There was a Lacey three or a Turner three that just kind of shut down the momentum. Um, And I think that Anya really paced them inside as well. Um, That, that tip dunk at the end kind of deflated anything, any chance of a comeback that we had. Um, But it was, it was just kind of a, one of those rare days where our shots weren't falling and the other team didn't, you know, they, they made everything. Um, So I think that, you know, you kind of look at when we at the beginning of the season, you look at the schedule and you say, yeah, we can beat everybody on the schedule. But then you look at the schedule as a whole and you say, where are we going to lose this game? And it's usually that first Sunday in January. And, you know, they've mentioned a lot on TV that we lose, you know, the last three times that we've played at NC State, we've lost. So uh, I think it's just a tough game. and It's a tough day for for the team. I was going to say,
2: um, just going back to Lacey and Turner. Lacey in particular, I mean, that guy seemed like he was—he could do whatever he wanted on the floor today. He went eight for thirteen from the field and was five for seven um, from three. I don't think he came out of the game um, for at least any extended time until until he came up with that, um, with that cramp or whatever it was that happened to him late in the game. Uh, that guy was on fire. He was—he was really good. Uh, and and I just hope. That Lacey and Turner and and BJ Anya and all those guys are able to keep up um, this momentum and this intensity when they play uh, North Carolina later this week.
1: You you know, to some extent, the game is a little bit of an aberration for several NC State players. Um, I mean, obviously, they don't shoot that well all the time, but BJ Anya scored 14 points. Um, this is a guy who averages barely over four points a game, <laughs> and he and he hung fourteen on us. Uh, you know,
2: and, and fourteen it, looking good, not just not just fourteen like they were all tipping. Right. Fourteen like he he looked like he knew what he was doing around the basket.
1: He had a left-handed hook shot at one point. I was like, where yeah. on earth? There's no way BJ Anya even practices that shot, let alone makes it very often. <laughs> it happens. Guys, I want to get I want to get you guys to talk to me about something that w- was a really major development this week, um, and especially in this NC State game. Um, Duke has gone small. Coach K, we, we, we know he loves to go small, but he's gone really small now. Um, uh, uh, Marshall Plumlee five minutes against NC State. Uh, Emil Jefferson, um, 22 minutes. Uh, it, you know, that's a lot of time where Duke was basically Jahil Okerpour and four guards. Um, uh, you know, do you all think this is going to be something we're going to continue to see? I mean, obviously we saw, it, we saw it in the starting lineup. Matt Jones was the starter, um, uh, which, uh, you know, didn't work out too well for him.
2: <laughs> I, I think that, you know, K is going is to put the guys on the floor that he thinks are the best players. Um, he's made that clear over the years that that's, that's the way that he likes to operate. And, um, you know, we see that if, if, he, if he really thinks that Matt Jones is going to play better than Emil Jefferson, I don't, know, I don't know if that actually ended up being the case today. Um, he's going to start him, and he's going to give him a lot of minutes. Uh, I wasn't sure if, if that was the best move against this particular NC State team. Um, they have a little bit of size. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – it's a weird thing. Um, I think it's just one of those quirks that we, that we learn to live with as, as Duke fans because this is just how, how Kay likes to operate. He's going to put the guys on the floor the most who he thinks are the best, and, and he's not going to worry about the positions maybe as much as you know that the screaming uh, Internet folks uh, would like.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, today I thought it was more of a matchup issue seeing that, uh, I believe on NC state's roster, there's maybe one guy who's above six, nine on the team and he doesn't really play that much. So, um, so they, on paper, they look like a small team, but you know, this team did not play small at all. They played very well inside. Uh, they were, they had no fear. They, they went after, they went after, uh, our shots. And like you said earlier, Jason, they had 10 blocks and which is absurd for any team, um, but I think that we're gonna see some stretches where we do go small um and I think that's kind of uh, unfortunately our weakest part is going small our weakest lineup may be when we have you know Jalil and four you know four guards inside um and I think that's gonna be one of those things where coach K is really looking at these matchups and seeing how can we uh exploit uh inside weaknicks or or outside weaknicks and um i I think that uh you know we're gonna see this time to time down the stretch uh, of the ACC season. And uh, I, I want to see us react a little better to it. So I think we're, you know, we're, we're done with uh, lamenting losses and, you know, as, as the saying goes next play. Uh, and we do have two important games coming up this week. Uh, first up, we play Miami on Tuesday night. Uh, Miami comes into this game kind of on a, you know, up and down stretch. Uh, they've been, uh, they, they've lost a lot for the last five games. Uh, they did, Squeak out a win against Boston College uh, over the weekend, but it did not look pretty at all. Uh, Sheldon McLennan and uh, Angel Rodriguez are their two uh, power guys that they're going to, you know, hopefully get the bulk of their points from. That's who they rely on. Uh, but it, it's kind of weird to see the Miami team of earlier in the season that was beating Wake Forest, or I'm sorry, beating Florida and beating uh, Illinois, uh, kind of halter at this, you know, stage in the season, they've kind of gone dry. Um, They, they don't shoot well uh, as a team, uh, but they do put some points on the board. They average about 70 points a game, but there's not really, they're not really lighting the world on fire right now. And they're not playing well together. Um, But I I think that uh, Miami is the, is the only game that they play against us this season. So they're going to be ready to play in Cameron. They've won in Cameron before, and I know they want to come in and do it again. What do you guys have? You guys uh, seen anything of Miami that would give us cause for concern, especially given the performance today? Um, I mean, I, I haven't watched a lot of Miami this year. I've caught little bits of their games.
2: Um, they've obviously got some talent on their team. You pointed out, you know, they've got they've got a win against a good Illinois team. Um, they beat Florida earlier this year, so it's it's not like they're scared uh, to play good teams and and certainly to play Duke. Um, they've got a very good coach in Jim Lariniega who who prepares them well and. We've got a short turnaround um, you know, from this afternoon's game where I'm sure that the team is not feeling good. Um, They've got to come back in two days and play a game at home. Um, you know, I'm not sure how, how fast they're going to want to be um, against you know, a, an athletic Miami team. Um, I think that, that Duke figures out a way to, to, to come back and win this game, um, but I'm curious to see sort of what kind of fire uh, they, they play with. Uh, two days after you know such a crushing loss against against NC State,
1: I'll tell you one good thing: Miami only averages four blocks a game, so <laughs>
0: it won't be one of these
1: teams, hopefully, that that just goes off and and uh, and we can't score inside. On
0: yeah, and I think the the key against Miami is spacing. Uh, we've seen, especially when we do our inside outside game, we we saw a little bit today where uh, Jaleel Okafor would catch the ball and would do great work in pivoting towards the basket. But when the double team came from that side, it closed the passing lane to the open teammate that's on the far side. Uh, so I'd like to see, I, I think that's going to be very open against Miami, um, especially in the corners and on the wings on the, on the weak side uh, of the floor. So I'd like to see a lot more of Jaleel turning and facing, kind of facing the, the, the paint and allowing for those passing lanes to still be there if they're off chance that uh, that Miami double teams, I don't know that Miami double teams too much. They don't really have the size to do that. And they don't have the spacing and and the, and the teamwork to kind of do that on a regular basis. But I think we're going to see a little bit of it in this game. And the question is going to be, can we get those, you know, those, those passes to the weak side and make those baskets. So that'll be a good game to see uh, on Tuesday night. And, but after that, we will have a really big test uh, at Louisville on Saturday, and Jason, I know you've watched a lot of Louisville and has kind of uh, critiqued them in the past. Give us a little rundown of what we can expect from this game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I- I've been um, I've been very impressed with Louisville defensively, with their physicality and their toughness. Um, they've got a couple guards in the backcourt in uh, Terry Rozier and Chris Jones, who um, they may not be big in terms of height. But boy, are they strong! They battle you hard. Uh, they go and they get rebounds. Um, and I think for you know some of our younger backcourt guys, for Tyus Jones, who who has struggled a lot lately, <laughs> Tyus Jones has not been playing great basketball recently. Um, boy, is he going to face um, something tough when he's going up against Chris Jones, who is just a fireplug. The guy is uh, uh, the guy is in incredibly strong and he's going to go right at you. Um, And then on the inside um, Montrezl Harrell is uh, you know, he's in the running for player of the year nationwide. He's certainly a contender to be an all American. Um, He's uh, he's another guy who is unbelievably strong and physical on the inside. And it's going to be real interesting to see. We've talked about how coach K is seeming to go small now. Um, I don't think that justice Winslow. Um, I, I don't look forward to Justice Winslow guarding Montrezel Harrell on the inside. Um, Harrell grabs nine rebounds a game, um, is unbelievably physical and strong, and uh, I think it'll be a real struggle for Duke if we go small too much against Louisville um, because they're they're just gonna they're gonna beat us silly on the glass. This is a team that grabs. Forty-one rebounds a game. Um, virtually every guy in their lineup can rebound really, really effectively. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm worried about the game a great deal, especially in the wake of you know what we've seen the past couple games where where Duke uh, has struggled with teams that were physical on them uh, on the interior. The other thing to note about Louisville, uh, I I think that they're not as deep as. We traditionally see from Rick Pitino kind of teams. Rick Pitino is a guy who usually loves to play uh, eight, nine, ten, sometimes even eleven guys. Uh, and this Louisville squad isn't nearly as deep. You're not going to see them um, uh, going down to their eighth, ninth, and against Duke. Um, when they played, uh, when they played UNC the other day, uh, they only had six guys log double-digit minutes. Um, uh, and really, throughout the second half, um, uh, you know, their their guards. Uh, were in the entire second half of the game, didn't take a single break. Now, you know, maybe that contributed a little bit to them suffering down the stretch against UNC. Um, Carolina outscored them in the final few minutes pretty badly to, to take that win. Louisville had a nice lead. Um, I'd like to see Duke, Duke push the pace some. I hope that we'll, you know, go, you know, playing at least eight, maybe nine guys. Um, you know, could be a game that Grayson Allen gets a little bit of burn as well. And uh, I, I think that could be one of the keys for us. The last thing I'd say about Louisville is they're a terrible, terrible outside shooting team. Um, We're talking about a team that hits less than 30% of their three pointers. There isn't a single one of their regular players who's a threat to, to really, you know, go off against you from three. I mean, I guess maybe Chris Jones, Maybe there's just there's no one on this team that that likes to shoot a lot of threes or who makes a lot of threes. Um, so uh, so that's something that could work for Duke because certainly we saw NC State exploit Duke from the perimeter. Um, I think Louisville will have trouble with that. Uh, they're not going to have guys who can pull up threes with a hand in their face and burying them uh, unless they have a game that is you know a total aberration from what we've seen thus far this year from them.
2: Yeah, and I, I think we're going to see a lot of. Are a lot more uh, Emil Jefferson and Marshall Plumlee uh, at least against Louisville because, um, like you said, they they really don't shoot it well from outside. Um, getting the ball inside, uh, Montrezl Harrell is a big part of their is a big part of their game plan. Um, and as you point out, they're not very deep, especially looking at um, their points per game average. They've only got four guys that are averaging a significant number of points per game. Uh, four guys averaging in double digits. The next one down, uh, the fifth best scorer on the team is averaging four points a game. Uh, and that's Anuwaku, who's only only playing 17 minutes. Uh, so it's it's really a, about focusing on a couple key guys for Louisville. Um, you mentioned Rozier and Harrell. Uh, Wayne Blackshear is their is their swingman, and I I've been impressed with him over the years. I, I feel like he he adds a lot. He's kind of he kind of plays the same role that Justice Winglow plays for us. Um, the most interesting thing, though, is that I, I think you mentioned uh, Jason. Wanting to see how we match up with Montrezl Harrell, and, and that you're scared to see Justice Winslow on him. I'm wondering if if Jolly Local Okafor is going to get any of the time guarding Montrezl Harrell, and that's going to be a totally different uh, kind of matchup than the one that he had against Frank Kaminsky. Um, you know, Kaminsky obviously bigger guy um, can score all over the place, or you know, bigger in that he's in that he's taller. Um, but he likes to be outside a little more. Montrez Harrell likes to be right under the hoop. Um, he's a much tougher dude. I, I heard uh, one analyst the other day comparing his sort of pro potential to Kenneth Farid, you know, who is like a six-seven, six-eight energy guy, but who gets a ton of rebounds, um, is really tough in the post, and is a guy that can put you in foul trouble really quickly because he's so physical. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see the way that we that we attack Montrez Harrell on on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an outstanding preview of the Louisville game. And you know, one question that I have for you, Jason, since you've seen them a lot, it, watching the game on Saturday against UNC, which we'll discuss a little more in a, in a couple minutes. What did you see? I didn't really see a guy on Louisville that down the stretch the team kind of said, "Hey, put the team on on your back and let's go." It kind of seems like uh, between Harrell and, and Blackshear and a couple other guys, they were trying to shoulder the load, but there wasn't really anybody who you know, when Paige made that shot to go ahead by one in the last 10 seconds, that they were looking for to say, he's going
1: to take the shot, he's going to score, and we're going to walk out of here with a win. Who, who would be that guy in Louisville? I mean, I think Chris Jones wants to be that guy. I think he's the guy who, um, He has the ball in his hands most of the time, and uh, and he feels like he can create his own shot um, more so than most of the other guys on the team. Um, But but the reality is between Rozier, Harold, Jones, and Blackshear, uh, you know, all four of those guys are capable of having a really big game. uh, Although none of them are are you know shooting that great. I mean Harold shoots really well because he's right around the basket most of the time. You know, uh, putting it in uh, from (laughs) less than five feet. I think, you know, in your scenario, Jones is probably the guy. Um, but but Louisville is a team that doesn't have a go-to player in that kind of regard. I don't know whether that's good or bad for them. I mean, maybe it hurt them against Carolina um, at the very very end. Um, but but on the other hand, it can be a good thing because if you fo- if you have to focus on you know st- shutting down one guy, there are other guys for Louisville that can step up. I think.
0: And and
2: I think that that the situation that they were in at the end of that game against Carolina is is maybe like the one way that they get beat. Um, is that they're in that close game and that they don't make the defensive stop. Um and we saw a little bit of the uh of that Marcus Page last year magic uh kind of at the end. Um, you know, in that game I think Louisville really is focused on getting the stop on Carolina and not having to rely on the last you know, the last second bucket uh on their end. So um, you know, UNC I think I think played uh they beat Louisville at their game. Um at the end of that game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, and it's worth noting, by the way, um, Louisville played great defense uh, down the stretch. There, Carolina just made yeah. some really, really tough shots.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But that will be a really good game uh, for us on Saturday. It's going to be a big test and a, uh, a new environment for us. I, I, I don't recall this is uh, us playing at the Yum uh, Center uh, anytime yet. And this is the first Louisville game in the ACC that we face. Um, that we face them. Uh, it should be a, a pretty classic matchup regardless but uh, shifting gears from this week or the, this coming week uh, to some news that came down the pike uh, in the last couple of days uh, that is ACC centric and is probably big news for a lot of people uh, longtime ACC referee Carl Hess was uh, relieved of his duties as ACC ref um, this week um, after charges that he, uh, used a racial slur to uh, taunt a, a fan at, a, at an ACC basketball game. Uh, I know we've all experienced uh, the Carl Hess effect um, during many a basketball game, and it seems that every big major Duke basketball game uh, has Carl Hess with the whistle uh, at the end of the game. But uh, guys, your thoughts. Let's start with Sam. Your thoughts on Carl Hess uh, and, his, and his firing. I think that it was
2: uh, user Air Force Dookie who mentioned this on the forum that um, everybody knows who Carl Hess is, and that is a bad thing for Carl Hess. Uh, the best referees, I think, at least to the casual fan, uh, or even you know, to the, to the involved fan like us, um, the best refs are probably not the ones getting noticed. And it felt like we heard about Carl Hess multiple times every season, there was him tossing out um, Chris Corciani and Tom Gugliata at the game last year um, at NC State, uh, there, there always just seems to be something something that Carl Hess is doing that that makes headlines, not just in the ACC but around the country. Um, so it it's kind of surprising to me that we don't see as much referee shuffle as as we do. Um, but you know, obviously Carl Hess made made headlines I think one too many times. And even if this story isn't exactly the way that that one guy says it was, or the other guy says it was, um, it, it's bad enough for the ACC that they that they shouldn't keep the guy around. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that the ACC took some action. It's a little bit surprising, maybe, that it, that it took this long for Carl Hess to to lose his uh, affiliation with the ACC.
1: A couple things that I want to say. The first one is, um, you know, what Carl Hess did calling the guy an Egyptian. Um, is a really bad thing. And there's some people who've sort of said, oh, is that, is that even a slur? Is that, you know, is that that awful? I mean, you know, replace Egyptian with any number of other um, uh, terms. Anytime you're defining someone by their type of skin, the color of skin, that kind of thing, it, it's, it's pretty darn unforgivable. So I absolutely agree with the ACC's decision that, to, that, to sever ties with Carl Hess. And I think it's fairly likely that other conferences are going to do the same thing. We may have seen Carl Hess officiate his last game. I want to put all that aside for a moment. I want to talk about what this means for Duke because I'm of the leaf that this is an unfortunate thing for the ACC, and it's not good for Duke. And the reason for that is that Carl Hess, even though he's at the center of a lot of controversy, and even though he's a guy who seems to love to make the big call, um, you know, often, uh, you know, often a call that that didn't benefit Duke. Carl Hess was an excellent, excellent official. He had officiated multiple final fours, um, I think like a half dozen or eight, something like that. You don't get to that level. You don't You don't get to be one of the last officials standing at the end of the year unless you are really, really good at what you do. Um, And I want to point out one other thing. Uh, So there's a friend of mine, a guy I know, who is, he's not a current uh, NCAA Division I official, but he's been an official of college basketball games in the past. And he very much is part of the officiating community. And um, he sent an email to me this week. We were chatting about this. And he said, make no mistake, this development hurts Duke because when Duke goes on the road, this friend of mine said he wants Carl Hess on that game because Carl Hess is someone who's confident in himself. He will resist pressure from a loud, boisterous home crowd. Um, And when one of the officials in a game, you know, is a little bit afraid to blow the whistle, Carl Hess is the guy who will cover for that guy and make the call because Carl Hess knows the right call needs to be made. And this friend of mine, this official friend of mine, believes that... If you're a Duke, you want well officiated games. You want games with officials who are not able to be intimidated, who aren't afraid to back down, and that's what Carl Hess is. Look, I thought the NC State game wasn't officiated very well. I thought that you know they really let the kids play inside, and that didn't benefit Duke. I don't know if Carl Hess is on that game. If he is part of the ACC still. Uh, you know, I don't know if when Duke goes to Louisville or when Duke goes to Charlotte or Duke goes to UNC, if Carl Hess was going to be assigned to those games, but I think it's a pretty good bet. He was going to get a couple of them because Carl Hess gets the big games in the ACC and Carl Hess was a really good official who knew what he was doing. And I think it's bad for Duke if he's not there anymore.
0: That's a very interesting perspective, especially from, uh, another official. Um, I, I, you know, obviously my perspective is from the fan perspective in, uh, you know, I feel like Carl Hess was like you said, he was the guy who loved making the big call and making sure everybody remembered his name and you know there there's always a saying that if you know the referee's name, then they did something bad or they're not very good um, obviously he was he, he was a good official in that you know the ACC would put him in all these big games in the final fours that he's been to uh, he obviously uh was a you know a, a very good official in terms of making calls and uh, you know when they do the reviews of of you know over the season of of officials, he was up there. It just seemed that to me he was always in the middle of the big plays at the end of big games. That would affect it. Would affect Duke sometimes for the good and and sometimes for the bad. It it wasn't always where he was. Uh, you know, costing us a victory if, if you know from a fan perspective. Uh, but there was times where he would make the call, and it would give us you know a benefit, you know, beneficial call that would give us a free throw to you know to take the lead or to put the game out of out of reach. So he always seemed to be at the at the center of it. Um, and Sam, you were mentioning uh, you know referees that kind of move between conferences. And and it's weird. Like you said, we don't know a lot of these, uh, these guys' uh, names Um, is usually the ones that we don't like that. We remember their names. Uh, The one that I always uh, did not like when he was with the ACC, uh, but always respected was Teddy Valentine, who has since moved on to, uh, he calls more of the big 10 and big 12 games. Uh, But, you know, kind of uh, when you're in Cameron, you kind of like to banter with the officials just as much as you do the other team when there's a bad call you know, I would, you know, go to a ref and be like, Carl, what was that call? You know, what did you call? We don't understand. Uh, and Carl would never respond to the crowd. If he did, it was very, uh, very standoffish. Um, and that obviously fuels some of the uh, the dislike. But, you know, with Teddy, I always respect him because no matter what his call was, whether it was, you know, a bad call or a good call, if you asked him to explain himself, he would give a quick explanation when he had the chance to. Um, and whether you disagreed with it, you, you at least were like, okay. I don't like that call, but, you know, I understand that, you know, I understand where you're coming from. And you kind of really never got that with Carl Hess. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people around the ACC would say the same thing. So I, it, it, I, I think from a fan perspective, I think a lot of people are, are, you know, great to see him gone. But, Jason, you could be right, especially, you know, with that official's perspective, he was calling the big games. And, and you may see uh, that effect going, you know, covering the rest of the season. Let's go to the podcast question of the week, and I'll kick it over to Sam, who has the reviews of the, uh, of the best answers. Sure.
2: Um, so the question last week, uh, in case you hadn't been checking the board, uh, was what team uh, outside of, say, UNC or Kentucky or all the normal ones that we don't like, what, what team do you, do, you not, uh, do you not like or, or I said, you rationally, irrationally hate? Um, and there were a lot of good answers. I did want to point out um, one great answer that everybody should check out on the board. It was from user Guru Frisbee, who really does not like Providence. Um, you should go and read uh, his or her rant on the board it was It was extremely well written um, at least uh, you know from from the psychological perspective um, so we 're not going to have a question this week uh, we're going to take a week off from uh, podcast, uh user input question, but um, I want to thank everybody who's been uh responding to the questions. Uh, I think it's been it's been pretty fun um, to to sort of get some some uh, uh, you know forum input on some of the stuff that we talk about here.
1: By the way, I want to jump in really quick. Um, so the team that I rationally hate is Louisville um, because I will never ever ever forgive them for 1986. You it was before you guys' time, but I was a freshman in 1986, standing on the quad with all my buddies and. We lost the championship game to Louisville. I I will go to my grave believing that we lost because we played defense too well uh, in Louisville's final possession. We forced an air ball, um, which is, you know, if you're defending, that's as good as you can do. And we boxed out too well. We had their freshman center boxed underneath the basket. There was no way for Purvis Ellison to get the rebound unless it was an air ball and it went right into his hands. But I, I've hated Louisville since that moment. I will hate them forever. They robbed what I think may have been the best Duke team of all time of its signature final capping win. And Louisville, I can't wait to face you this week. We're taking you down.
0: <laughs> Jay, I, 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 think, I think we need a webcam on Jason during the game on Saturday for for everybody's amusement. I think that's going to be awesome. Uh, I mean, but, to, <laughs> but to wrap up this podcast, we're, we're going to... Conclude with, uh, as always, our player of the week. Um, obviously, with a win and a loss on the record, it may be hard to pick a player of the week. But uh, Sam, who was your player of the week? Um, looking at our, at our loss
2: today, I'm, I'm going to be boring again and give it again to Jolly Locafor. Um, you know, I think he, he struggled a little bit against NC State, but he still got his points. Um, and, and, you know, despite the fact that, that teams are keying on him on uh, you know, when he's on offense, he remains calm. He's figuring it out. Um but uh you know it was a I think it was a tough week for a lot of guys on this team. What about jason uh
1: you know I'm going with Rashid Suleiman, who I think has really um taken nicely to his role not only as sixth man, but I think his role has also become when I come in the game, it's my job to take the ball to the hoop. It's my job to be instant offense off the bench, and uh, I think he's done a really nice job of that um uh you know, maybe he took a few too many shots today. Um, especially late in the game against NC state when we were sort of struggling and putting up some desperation shots but but his shooting percentage has been really good up until now um he he's he's getting his scoring average up there uh, I think he'll be back above 10 points a game fairly soon um, and I just love the intensity he brings it both into the floor I think he forces the other team to p- really pay attention to him um, uh, you know when he's got the ball on offense quite often he's in the game when jahil Okafor comes out um, and uh, you know, without Jalil, we're we're you know somewhat searching for offense, and and Rashid is the guy who does that. Uh, he had two double figure games this week off the bench. Uh, I thought he had a pretty good week, so he's my pick.
2: And I, I, I just want to add on on Suleiman. Um, I think there's an interesting thing going on where Coach Kane might be preparing Rashid Suleiman for the role that he's going to have to play in the pros if he's going to make it to the NBA, which is that you know score defender off the bench. Um, he's not going to probably not going to be able to play 30, 35 minutes a game in the NBA, but if he can be 15 or 20 minutes, you know, at that peak that he's at, uh, he's going to be a really effective player.
0: Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, this might be the first week where uh, we all have a different player of the week for, you know, that is an actual player of the week. And I think mine is Justice Winslow. And, you know, I go back to the Wake Forest game where he had some major, uh, majorly big, Plays uh, down the stretch. Um, you know, whenever the team, when we went down against Wake Forest last year's team, probably would have lost that game. But I feel like Justice Winslow really took it upon himself to get the team back into the game. Him and Tyus Jones were really working hard on defense and on offense. Justice was on fire uh, against Wake Forest. He he struggled against uh, uh, NC State today, but I, I think that overall the player of the week was Justice Winslow. I think he did. You know, wonders for us, and really kept us in the Wake Forest game, and really helped. You know, when he was when he got back on track against NC State, he you know kind of helped us get back into that game before the momentum that NC State had kind of took us out. So, Justice is my Player of the Week. So
1: and you just picked a guy. You just picked a guy who went ten for thirty from the field. Yeah, <laughs> but, you
0: know, it didn't. Hey, look it wasn't easy. a great week. Right, it wasn't a great week for a lot of players, but I think Justice, especially. I you know I I like to you know end our podcast on a positive note. So I like to harp back to the win that we did have where he was very, very influential for us down the stretch.
1: Amen, brother. No, no, I agree. Justice had a good week and I, I was coming close to picking him as well.
0: Yeah. So with that, we are going to wrap up this week's edition of the DBR podcast. Hey, guys, we are on Stitcher Radio now, so subscribe to us there. We are also on SoundCloud. And for those of you who are waiting for us on iTunes, believe us, we are waiting too. We are just waiting for that approval. We are coming to iTunes really soon, so stay tuned for that. But for now, let the sounds of the Duke University marching band play us off. We will see you next time.